Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online they continue to get it done as the number one betting source for you. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, we have golf, horse racing, and everything heating up this Major League Baseball season as well. You'll get latest odds, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Just log on today to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to get started. But listen up. Make sure you use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag or your mobile device. BetOnline. Get started today. BetOnline is where the game starts. You know, it is that time of year in sports where it is all heating up, not just the weather, but the events. We're coming off the NFL draft. We have MLB. We've got the NHL and NBA playoffs. How about Horse Racing's Triple Crown and the PGA Championship, just to name some of the major sporting events we'll see in the next few months and have seen the last several weeks. Every event presents opportunities for inspiration and controversy, as well as new heroes and comeback stories. Ever wonder how to get into sports journalism? Well, I started my career at St. Bonaventure University. I attended their campus long before online degrees were a thing. But with their online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism, you'll learn how to find and talk about the most compelling stories, no matter the sport all from the comfort of home. An advisory committee of journalism school alums shape this innovative program. Courses are taught by experienced professors and include master classes led by industry experts. As an SBU graduate, you join a network of fellow Bonnies, including the New York Post's Mike Beccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. The online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism builds strong skills and ethical foundations for successful careers. Coursework emphasizes the importance of multimedia reporting and incisive storytelling. Program graduates are prepared to tell stories at the intersection of sports, gender, and race. Take the next step in your sports journalism career by contacting an enrollment advisor at sbujournalism.com. What's going on, everybody? Paul Bissonette here from the Spit and Chicklets podcast and now the TNT broadcast. I just want to give everybody a shout out and make sure you tune in to the ML Sports Platter. ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Thanks to friends of the program, the Swan and Whitaker families, Bob Lindsley, Daryl Abert, and the Alonzo family. We are brought to you by Stanley Law Offices. Together, they'll work to get you the maximum reward. Visit stanleylawoffices.com for more information. And a tip of the cap thank you as well to Trey Waluski of Under Armour Golf. Courtney over at Maple Down Senior Living Community. Make sure you Google a place for mom and get your loved one into a safe, secure environment. And our good friends over at Camilla's Golf Club and the Vince Aguera Consulting Group. It is out to major bookstores and online where books are sold. My buddy Rich Cohen joins us now. It is a book that you're going to want to read, especially if you're my age, <laughs> growing up with Magic and Bird and MJ and the Pistons. Amazing. When the game was war, literally, in uh, in basketball terms, they used it. Yeah, but gosh, it really was war. The NBA's greatest season, and you can go get it, as I mentioned, uh, on uh, all uh, online platforms and your major bookstores nearby. Man, Magic Bird, MJ, the Pistons, Isaiah, what can you say? Man, this is incredible. The 87-88 campaign. NBA just isn't what it used to be, Rich Cohen. Congratulations on this book, and welcome to the platter, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So when you say the NBA's greatest season on the cover of the book, and boy, what a cover it is with these four legends. Why was it the greatest season in NBA history? Well, first of all, just in a very objective sense, the most future Hall of Famers 
we're playing at one time uh, than ever before. And I think pretty much ever since. And um, it, it spanned the whole history of the league because the oldest was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who played one more year mm-hmm. and had played with guys who played before there was an NBA. And on the youngest, there was Scottie Pippen and Reggie uh, Miller, who played with guys who just retired in the last couple of years. So it had this incredible cast of talent. And when I looked at it, I saw four historic NBA dynasties all in competition for the same crown at the same time, all in slightly different stages of uh, rise or fall. You had, you know, the great Pistons, who just a couple of years before, some people considered that the greatest team of all time, with uh, Larry Bird, Bill Walton, and um, the front line of Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and Bird was all Hall of Fame front line. And then you had the Lakers, who won the year I write about, and they were, you know, the first team to repeat in a long time. Many consider them the greatest team of all time, you know, with Magic leading the charge, uh, Kareem still contributing, and, you know, James Worthy, another Hall of Famer, Byron Scott, they had an incredible team. And then the Pistons were really the best team, even though they didn't win. They kind of got robbed. They were really the best team in the league that year, and they had a team that when you step back, it's unbelievable because their great strength is they really had two starting teams. Their bench was better than most teams in the league. Coming off the bench, they had Dennis Rodman, John Sally, and uh, Vinny Johnson. So basically like almost three Hall of Famers. And then the, the team, the, the dynasty that was still becoming, that was nascent, but really owned the future. And you could just start to see it that year was the Bulls. Uh, you know, Jordan won his first MVP. The Bulls broke through and won 50 games for the first time maybe since the early 70s. And um, coming that year, both rookies on that team drafted in the same class were Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen. Mm -hmm. You had John Paxson, who would be the Bulls' point guard, was there, but he was coming off the bench. And Phil Jackson was there, but he was an assistant coach. Doug Collins was the head coach. So you had all these incredible pieces in conflict at the same time in the same place. Everyone knows that Magic and Bird saved the NBA and, and Michael kind of took it and just blew it up into a, a whole global thing and uh, I ridiculous icon status and ratings and branding and, you know, be like Mike and Gatorade and Nike and Air all that stuff we know. But I still think Dr. J probably deserves a little bit more credit, um, you know, in the early 70s and, and 80s. But let's face it, the, the league was still having a ton of problems when he was in his prime. So, to a degree, you can give him credit, but then say, well, yeah, but how much did he do compared to Magic and Bird? And the answer isn't as much. And, you know, we still have the, you know, highest rated NCAA final being the Magic Bird game with the Sycamores of Indiana State against the Spartans of Michigan State in 79. They get into the league. We know Magic plays five different positions as a rookie, wins the 80 title. They eventually go to Pat Riley, Magic and Bird, Celtics, Lakers. I mean, the whole thing was banana land and into MJ. What's amazing is, Rich, you could also, with what you just say, layer that and say, wait a minute, if you like your all-time list, if you like your all-time starting five, if you like your Mount Rushmore discussions, I have personally Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird on my starting five all-time, and, and you could argue that those three guys are also on the Mount Rushmore of all-time, and you could just call it there with those three guys, could you not? Yeah, I mean, it was a real golden age. Like, different sports have different, you know, golden ages. Like, you have a golden age of rock and roll, you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones when you're young. This was the golden age of the NBA. And it's interesting, you mentioned Dr. J, super interesting. I agree with you completely about him. But he was almost too early. Like, mm-hmm. one of the great things that made Bird and Magic so great, you saw it in that NCAA game, is they had each other as rivals. Yeah. And they pushed each other. And it was the rivalry as much as any individual talent 
And then the fact that they went to the Celtics and the Lakers, who were these two teams who had played each other so many times. So it brought back all the history, we you know, with like um, Bill Russell and Jerry West and all that. So, uh, and then, you know, Magic, uh, uh, Jordan comes right into that. So it's sort of like, I always say you need, for Muhammad Ali to be Muhammad Ali, you kind of need Joe Frazier. You need the great, great, great opponent. And in a lot of ways, the image of Dr. J, though he was still playing, is still hanging around because the Celtics became as great as they were and built the team the way that they did specifically to beat the 76ers with Dr. J. So they were propelled by their battles with the 76ers in the East to become what they became. Yeah, that's a good point. He was early, but, you know, he's almost, I mean, I know he's the far greater player basketball-wise compared to Joe Namath as a football player, but I kind of liken those two. You know, they're very similar because of the whole AFL-NFL merger and yeah. AFL challenging, you know, and then, oh, whoa, whoa, we got to take these guys seriously, and oh, oh, whoa, we got to take the ABA guys seriously, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Dr. J, amazing player, but, man, Magic Bird, MJ, in that era was was just crazy. When do you think Michael officially, officially took the torch from Bird and Magic? Was it when MJ beat Magic in the finals in 91, which is the 90-91 season? Was it in Barcelona with the Dream Team? Was it in the late 80s? Was it when he hung a million points on Bird at the Garden in the postseason? When, when was it? Well, I think he was just of a different nature right from the beginning. And I think that Bird recognized that and said it. I mean, he said, that's God or whatever he said. That's not Michael Jordan. And he said, he's doing things as a rookie I could never do. I mean, one of the great things about these guys is they when they saw somebody, something great, something better than them, they recognized it and they said it. You know, So um, it might have been right at the beginning, but what, what Jordan was lacking, and it's just part of the result of being drafted so high, is the Bulls just didn't have a good team for him to, to play with. There was a famous Larry Bird quote where they said, well, the problem with Jordan is he isn't a team player. He scores 63 points, and they still lose because he isn't a team player. And Bird said, well, no, he doesn't have a team. So they slowly had to assemble a team around him, which they kind of completed building that team in fall of 87, I think. But, you know, so as a player, he probably took the crown right away, and Bird yielded it. But sort of as a team, really, the Bulls as a team, I think it would be obviously the year that they won the championship and they finally knocked off the Pistons who had bedeviled all people from Chicago, myself included. And when they did it finally, like so many, so many times it happens kind of with bullies in a way, because Pistons played like bullies is the Pistons collapsed that last year. So yeah. the previous year they pushed them to the very brink. It was a seven game series. It was really violent. You know, I think I remember Dennis Rodman kind of throwing Pippen into a stanchion and I think it was the year Pippen got the migraine. All this stuff happened. And the next year when they came back ready, the Pistons just sort of collapsed. And then the Bulls just, it's like once they figured out how to win, then they did, just didn't stop winning for years. 87-88 season in the NBA, the peak of that golden era, of course, that we've been speaking about. Four historic teams, four legendary players, one unforgettable season. All the Hall of Famers, all the titles, all the rivalries, all the names, the legends, and all the rest. Rich Cohen has come out with another beauty. It's called When the Game Was War, the NBA's Greatest Season. You can pick it up online where books are sold and your neighborhood bookstores. You are also the author of the amazing uh, bestsellers, uh, New York Times bestsellers, Monsters, the 85 Chicago Bears, and uh, The Wild Heart of Football, which I couldn't get enough of. The Chicago Cubs story of a curse, you know, and, and Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent, among others. Um, when you wrote this book, 
how was the approach? Because there were some similarities, right? With like legends and all-time teams and all the things we've talked about and generational dominance and rivalries and all the rest. How, how, how was it similar, different? You know, how did you go in with the approach? What, what was it, you know, from the previous books leading into this one? Can, can you compare them at all? Yeah, well, I was always like a, a sports nut, okay? So as a kid, I played hockey and baseball, you know, up and through into college. And then uh, as a, and I didn't play basketball specifically because my father was a basketball coach. Hmm. And you just didn't want to be with my father on a basketball court because he was horrible, <laughs> I thought. You know, he was very, he was like Bobby Knight or something. <laughs> so um, he did stuff like tie my brother's hand, right hand behind his back for a week to make him learn how to use his left hand and stuff like that. Did he so, throw any chairs, um, though? How about chairs? Did he throw any chairs? <laughs> yeah, you never, I, don't think, I think the chairs were too heavy. He'd right. be like a lazy boy and he wasn't that strong. <laughs> so I think that basically um, uh, I always had it in my head that I wanted to write a book about each major sport. Yeah. And so obviously just listed the books that I did that with. I did it with uh, football, with the Bears, and I did it with the Cubs. And I, for me, because I was so deeply involved in my son's hockey career, that was the most intense hockey I was dealing with. And then... I knew I wanted to write a book about the Bears, but I, I'm about the Bulls. But I felt like, in a weird way, you know, writing a whole thing about six championships, it kind of goes on forever. It's like, and I thought, what was great about those games wasn't the numbers or the individual highlights, it was suffering with them and watching them build it. And I wanted to try to recreate that feeling of going through the season in the game. Because now, like, if you watch some of those highlights, they might not even look like John Paxson hitting a three-pointer in the game seven of the NBA finals, like just a regular three-pointer, nothing special. You've seen a million of them. To understand how great it was, you had to kind of suffer the previous 40 minutes of frustration and then the previous eight years of being beat up and slowly building to get to the catharsis of that shot. So I wanted to kind of get back to the catharsis. In a weird way, I thought of the book as like the context out of which the Bulls were born. So rather than just telling the story about that team, you sort of tell the kind of crucible that they emerged from. And the crucible was like war because the game was so physical and they had to survive all that. And it was like a war of attrition and they finally stood up to it. And what made being a Bulls fan so great then, not only because Chicago rarely had winning teams, let alone dynasties, was that that you kind of suffered. It was like a hero's journey of Michael Jordan and the Bulls like slaying the dragon. And when they did it, you felt like you'd just been through the ringer. It was sort of, that's what I wanted to recapture. That's why that's so the similarity was, yes, it was in all these books. These are kind of the teams I watched when I was a kid, except the Cubs 2016. And, um, and it's guys who were, you know, I really admired growing up and I got to go back and meet them and now they're old. So that's all super interesting, but basically it was, you know, the process of overcoming by the bulls. Should also mention that Rich is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal, the co-creator of the HBO series Vinyl, and a contributing editor at Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone, author richcohen.com for more of his work. Right now we're talking about his latest book, The NBA's Greatest Season, of course, When the Game Was War, uh, online where books are sold. You can pick it up. And, of course, your nearby Barnes & Noble uh, bookstores. Uh, I just got done reading, speaking of shows, and, God, there's so much content out there in our, our world. You can barely keep up between articles and this and that and documentaries and podcasts and everything and books. Um, but I also live for this kind of stuff. And I just got done watching the four part, um, or I guess it was four, yeah, four part, uh, uh, series on Apple plus, uh, on magic. And it was really good. Um, and at the end, at the end, Pat Riley makes a very, very 
you know, strong argument, and he obviously admits, you know, to being biased, that Magic Johnson, you know, like, okay, we all know about MJ. Most people say it's MJ as a GOAT. I say it's, you know, the same. MJ is the GOAT. But he he makes the point for Magic being the GOAT. Can, can you make the argument for that? He's also, by the way, one of three players in history to have won titles at every level, high school, college, NBA, and the Olympics, the other two being Jerry Lucas and Quinn Buckner. Can you make a case for Magic being greater than Michael? Uh, probably. I mean, I, the thing is, I think with all the, the the guys, I can make a case for Jordan being the greatest. I can make a court case for Magic being the greatest. I can make a case for Bird being the greatest. And I probably could make a case for Bill Russell or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, being the greatest. So, um, but the thing, the thing that I think was really interesting was the guy who belongs in the conversation, maybe of not the greatest, but of the top 10, that is really given short shrift is Isaiah who's kind of like one of the sort of heroes of the book because Isaiah became vilified in the sort of epic story of Michael Jordan. You saw the last dance and there's a villain in the last dance. It's Isaiah Thomas. Yep. And really unfairly, I think. And what Isaiah did is Isaiah, if you look at the list of the top 50 players in NBA history, the only one on that list under six feet tall is Isaiah. Hmm. And my father always said to me, like there's like been plenty of seven footers in the history of the NBA, any player that has, you know, made a team and stayed on a team that is under six feet tall is great. And Isaiah played like a big person, but he was not a big person. And he played a very physical, tough Chicago playground style of basketball that kind of helped remake the NBA. And I would think I could, yes, make the case that Magic was the greatest. He completely changed the position of point guard. He changed the way the game was played. It's very easy to imagine him playing today and still dominating. And, you know, his career was cut short and all these different things. I think it's easy to make the case that he was the greatest of all time. For partly the reason you mentioned, he won high school, college, and in the NBA in three, in four years. He won a championship each level. And then in, in the decisive game uh, in the NBA in his first year, he switched to, he's a guard who switched to center because Kareem was hurt. And was able to switch positions like that, and was able to shut down the other team's, uh, you know, rebounder. When he wanted to play physical, he could be as physical as anybody. But the tougher case, of course, is Isaiah, and I think that's the case people should try to make. You know, history is crazy. You know, you look back at the what ifs. You know, if if Sam Bowie didn't get picked ahead of Jordan, you look at the, you know, Derek Jeter. If he's not picked by the Yankees, you know, Chad Matola gets picked by the Reds. And if it were the Reds picking Jeter and he was with Barry Larkin, what happens? And um, there's so many of these different cases, you know. And um, I'm wondering how you feel if we go back in time and maybe these guys are all shuffled around. You know, maybe Magic doesn't end up a Laker and Bird doesn't end up a Celtic and Jordan doesn't end up a Bull in the way he did and Isaiah doesn't end up as a Piston. And these guys are all shuffled on different teams, whether it's Bulls, Pistons, Lakers, Celtics, or maybe they're elsewhere, you know, right? Blazers, whatever. How do things end up if these guys are shuffled around and each individual isn't on the team that they actually, you know, wore the uniform of? Well, I think that's, you know, huge because first of all, I think that they all still win multiple championships. Me too. Where they are. (laughs) Yeah, but the way they do it might be differently because one of the things that Isaiah did is if you watched Isaiah in high school like I did, or you watched Isaiah when he went out in the national NCAA championship game with Indiana, he, um, you know, wasn't a very violent player anyway at all. He was a finesse player. And he's a guy who could have scored 30, 35 points a night if he wanted, 
but he realized for the Celtics to get to the next level and to defeat the, I mean, for the Pistons to get to the next level and beat the Celtics, he had to play the hand he'd been dealt, which was a certain kind of physical teammate, and that is how he played. He played on a team where he was the team leader, and you had Bill Lambeer, you had Rick Mahorn, you had John Sally, you had Dennis Rodman, that, and they played a physical game of basketball. If he had played for the Lakers, uh, Isaiah, he would have played much, much more like somebody like Byron Scott, you know, and he could have been a classic point, or he could have played like Magic. And if Magic had played in a team for a team like Boston, he would have played a game more physical, more like Bird. I just think that you, you know, figure out what you have and what you need to do to win. Jordan, for many years, was a one-man band in Chicago. They used to call it Jordan and the Jordanaires, which had been, you know, Elvis's backup band at RCA Records. So I think that uh, Jordan wouldn't have played like that if he had had a team. You would have seen more of a team player right from the beginning, and maybe he wouldn't have developed all the incredible individual skills in exactly the way he did. So, for example, when you watched him play at UNC, you never knew how great he was physically because he played in a system. And he played on a team with Sam Perkins, a great great NBA player, and James Worthy, a Hall of Famer. So he didn't need to take over like that. Yeah. You know, so I think everybody's identity in all these sports, my example, which people always look at me like I'm crazy because I'm a Bears fan. If Jim McMahon had been drafted by the 49ers instead of the Bears, oh. I believe he would have been in the Hall of Fame. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. Um, and then you take the injury version of that, and it's if Joe Theismann's leg doesn't get broken by... Lawrence Taylor, he's in the Hall of Fame, and I just had Joe on. It, it, sports are so, oh my gosh, it's just amazing uh, how things work. Um, the final question I have for you is a simple one, Rich, and I ask this of every author I've had on, and I've had you on multiple times, and I can't even tell you how much I respect you uh, as, a, as a writer and an author and a sports media uh, giant. Uh, it, it's just amazing the work that you've done through the years. What do you hope people say about this book when they get done with it? You know, I hope they feel like uh, they've been through the war with the players. Like they re, it's like I, what the, the, the thing that I really like is when people tell me they kind of forgot who won that year. And it reads sort of like a suspense thing because you, uh, the book's just divided among four games, four regular season games, postseason final. That's it. So the idea is to make you put you through the ringer again as a fan and sort of forget how the season ended, like willing suspension of disbelief, you know? So, um, so I, I hope it feels like it kind of returns them. And if you're our age, it brings you back to really one of the most exciting times in my life as a spectator of sports, maybe the most exciting time, and causes people who are were too young to experience that to finally get what we've been talking about this whole time. And you know what? It's amazing. I just don't watch the NBA anymore. I mean, I, I haven't watched it in years. I tried to get into it a few years ago with Steph and LeBron and the big matchups and the players and flipping on the fight. I can't even, I, I just can't do it's it. Just, it's not the same. It's game. horrible. It's just a different game. Yeah. yeah. They don't play defense, the load management, the woke stuff, too many yeah. social and political. I just can't do it, man. And this is the, this is the bread and butter. This is what I grew up on. And uh, I, I just, I, I love this. I love the book. When I, when I read when the game was war, I, all I do is I just see Mikhail and Rambis going at it. And I just, I see all these things in my head. Um, you know, and Isaiah and Magic, you know, the friendship, and then, of course, that kind of taking a back seat for a little bit during the games because of the physicality and MJ and the Knicks and uh, MJ and the I, – I just – I love it. I love this whole thing. It's called When the Game Was War. Rich Cohen is the author. Go get it online where books are sold and your nearby bookstores. The NBA's Greatest Season, highlighting 87-88, Michael, Isaiah, Larry, and Magic. 
and, of course, an era that is unforgettable. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. This is Joe Convertino Jr. at CH Insurance. Over the years, the Orange have set a great example of teamwork, and it's what we strive toward every day with our talented team, clients, and partners. Follow us on social media. Go SU! We're in your corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.